guys? Don't you appreciate them leading music today? Yeah. They did a wonderful job. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. So after a couple week hiatus, we're back to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at just a couple different verses. We're finally kind of winding down in the book of Hebrews, but there's still a few good messages left, even in these closing parts. So today we're going to be talking about how we should remember our leaders. And uh, I told you a little bit last week how uncomfortable I was with this message. Kind of like I was when I worked for a company called Dowell Slumberjay. I kind of worked in the field uh, for many years and then got to the place where they thought, well, you'd probably make a good salesman, which they were completely wrong about that. <laughs> I am not a good salesperson. But anyway, I, they, uh, Dowell was very good about sending us to different schools. So you might go to school for truck driving, you might go to school for uh, learning how to run a job, supervise a job, or you might go to be a salesperson. And so they sent me to this uh, sales uh, seminar, which I think was in Columbus, Ohio at the time. And part of the job was that you had to actually present a sales pitch and of course they wanted to uh, videotape you and then they would want to show back that video to the whole class with you sitting there and they would critique you and I just thought, I hate this. I, I hate this because I felt like uh, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I don't like the sound of my voice when it's recorded. Uh, I didn't want people critiquing me and that's a little bit how I feel about doing this sermon today because it talks about my responsibilities as a leader of the church and it also talks about your responsibilities in response to my leadership. And so uh, I was telling one of my students uh, at the uh, Christian Academy where I'm teaching school now, uh, he came up and he'd not done so good in one of his books. One of the classes I teach is literature. so. It's real simple. You do the reading, you answer questions, and you get a good grade, right? It's, it's very simple. But the hard part is sometimes getting them to do the reading, of course. And if they can't do the reading, then they don't answer the questions, so they end up with a bad grade. And so we're reading our very first book. We're reading The Old Man and the Sea, which is a very short book. It's on a topic that just about everyone loves, which is fishing. And I noticed one day, I asked everybody, have you done your reading? And he said, no, I haven't done my reading. So I talked to him after class, you know, why didn't you do the reading? Well, I don't like fish. <laughs> <laughs> and the next book was Animal Farm. He said, well, I didn't like that book either. I said, sorry, his name's Reese. I said, sorry, Reese, but you're gonna find out in this life, you're gonna have to do a lot of things you don't like. And it's no excuse for not doing them well. You still need to do them well. So that is my own ad, admonition to myself to do this and to do it well, even though it's somewhat difficult for, for me to do. So let's go ahead and look at our scripture today. Like I said, it's two verses and they're separated, but we're just going to read the two verses, uh, verses 7 and 17. So why don't we go ahead and stand, even though it's just two verses in honor of scripture and God having inspired it and given it to us and protected us so that we might have it all these thousands of years. 
And uh, yeah, here we go. Verse number seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this scripture that we have today, and we thank you for the book of Hebrews, where we've learned so much about the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sins. And help us not to forget that, even though we're talking about leadership, the ultimate leader is Jesus Christ, who as our servant gave it all up for us, that through trusting and believing in him, we might have eternally, eternal life. And we pray today that you would help us to have understanding of these verses and an understanding of the different parts, the leaders and the followers, and how we are to respond to one another biblically. And help us to accept whatever is true, even though it may be difficult for us to accept. And finally, help us to apply it so that the church and we are actually different. We become less like the world out there and more like Jesus Christ. And so we are asking that you would guide and direct us through this. I, I pray that you would help me with my words, uh, that I would be clear in my speech, and that this message today would be communicated effectively. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So there could be several different titles for this section of scripture. I chose and picked out one phrase, remember your leaders, because uh, leaders in the church need to be remembered, amen? amen? They need to be remembered, they need to be prayed for. We'll talk about that in a little bit later because uh, they and we and I have a tremendous responsibility upon our shoulders and we cannot do it alone. <laughs> We were never meant to do it alone. We were always meant to do it with you guys alongside of us. And so uh, help us to understand as we go through this. Uh, remember your leaders. What are they talking about here uh, concerning leaders? That would be the first question that I would have in the scriptures. Who are the leaders? Who are they talking about? Because we're all in one sense leaders as Christians, right? In one sense, we are all leaders. We all bear the name of Jesus Christ. We are called Christians, which means little Christ. And so we are leaders by our example. And so when we leave this place and when we go out into the world, how we conduct ourselves or how we behave, like the Sunday school lesson told us about, uh, it makes a difference on what people think about Christianity and what they think about Jesus. And if they see things that are attractive, then they may be attractive to church and they may be attracted to Jesus Christ and believe in him and place their faith and trust in him. Amen. So in one sense, we are all leaders, but I don't think that's what is, he's talking about here in the scripture that we read. Parents are also leaders. So you are leaders in your own little kind of church, so to speak. Martin Luther said that a man and his family constitute a little church and he is basically a pastor over his congregation. And so uh, both the husband and the wife have leadership roles in the family. 
We have a worship leader who is absent today, and we have a, uh, a uh, assistant worship leader, Kyle, who is here, and they provide leadership in the area of music. We have Sunday school directors and teachers who provide leadership. Uh, we also have WMU leaders who keep us abreast of the mission field and things that go on. And we have deacons who are instrumental as leaders within the church. And all of these groups lead by example, but also by what they say. But I don't think any of those really is what he's talking about in the scriptures that we just read, these specific leaders he is talking about. I think he's talking about the pastors or the elders of the church. And the reason I say that is that uh, they are held accountable for the flock of Jesus Christ, right? We are, I probably should step back a little bit and, and remind you that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? He is the head of the church. But pastors, uh, as he is the shepherd of the church, we are under shepherds of the church. And so these leaders that they're talking about in here, they have certain qualifications that they are supposed to uh, live up to. And let me just read one of these to you. Paul in 1 Timothy, he says, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which would be a leader. He desires a noble task. I like that word noble. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And so not, not everyone is a leader who has to meet up to these qualifications, right? This is someone who is the leader of the church and uh, they go by various names in the New Testament. So you may hear the name pastor. You may hear the phrase shepherd teacher, which basically means pastor. You may hear the term overseer, which in the Baptist denomination, we always have believed that they are pastors of the church. Uh, you may hear the word elders. And as elders, they all kind of mean the same thing. They are the pastor, the teachers, the elders of the church. Uh, typically in smaller churches like this, we have one elder or one pastor. But we also have a deacon body who, in my view, acts as a second pastor for the church so that I have something, someone to bounce ideas off and check with them. So all of those titles, pastor, elder, overseer, bishops, shepherd, teachers, refer to a pastor of the, chief, of the, of the church who is accountable for their flock which are the members of the church. And he is also not only accountable for the flock, but he is accountable to the flock. Amen? Amen. 
he is accountable to the flock. So the pastor, although he has great leadership responsibility, it is ultimately Jesus Christ and the local church who has a say-so that goes on within the church. And fortunately, those two never hardly, at least in this church, come into conflict with one another. We try to prayerfully make sure that, and I try to, to make sure that I am in sync with the church. And I believe the church works to be in sync with the pastor as well. And so the leadership role uh, for this specific pastor or elder, and notice that sometimes in the New Testament, elders is in the plural. Sometimes churches, New Testament churches, have more than one pastor. They have several pastors. And once again, this goes back to accountability, that rather than just one person, you have a plurality of elders. And so you, you might see some Baptist churches who have a senior pastor, but they have other pastors as well, and they kind of form a committee, so to speak, to help lead and oversee the church. But in smaller churches like this one, and even bigger churches, many times there is just one pastor who is leading the church. See, the leader's role is to watch over your souls. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone want to volunteer for that? <laughs> I don't need no. <laughs> You know, uh, this, especially verse number 17, is just uh, really a lot to take in sometimes. It's just a lot to take in. And uh, yet God's word is beautiful and it's perfect and it tells us what we need to know. But the leader's role, the pastor's role, the elder's role is to watch over your soul. And so I, I ask myself questions and I do this about, each of you individually, by the way, are they maturing in their faith? Are they maturing in their faith? Or are they drifting away from the faith? And so if you are maturing in the faith, all is well, right? Hopefully you're attending Bible studies and you are attending worship services and you are learning how to share your faith. You're kind of on an upward trajectory toward knowing Christ and, and becoming like Christ, especially becoming Christ, like Christ. We are to mature in the faith, right? We start out kind of like babies and then we grow in the faith until we come to maturity where we can share Christ with someone else and help raise them up. That's the whole process of discipleship. But sometimes you have to ask the question, are they drifting? And we've talked about that in the book of Hebrews because the people in the book of Hebrews were in danger of drifting away from the faith. That's one reason why this book was written is to say, stop it. You, you can't go back to Judaism. There's nothing in the world worth going back to. Jesus is where you want to be and Jesus, it is who you want to follow. But it's difficult sometimes to keep from drifting and people do drift away. We have people who used to attend this church who still do not. We have I forget how many now on the membership role, probably 240, 50 on our role of whom I feel a responsibility for who no longer attend this church. And so I want to give you a little, I don't want to make this be a downer, 
but I want you to give a little bit of the sense of responsibility that an elder, a pastor feels for a church when people are drifting away or have drifted away. I ask the question, sometimes are they asleep? And I, I don't do that to be uh, mean or anything, but this is a figure of speech that's used in the New Testament is that we are not to be asleep. In other words, we are to be awake. We are to be vigilant. We are to be growing in our faith. And, and this, you know, finally, I just ask the question, are they obeying God's word? And so probably many, many times I've asked this group as a group, how are you doing spiritually? Don't be afraid to pray for yourself spiritually because Satan does not want us to grow into maturity. He can't keep us from gaining our salvation of being saved eternally because that is eternal security. We're secure in, in Christ, but he can make us ineffective and to drift away and to be of no good use to the church. In fact, sometimes even a drag upon the church. But typically, Answers to, I get to questions like that sometime, well, I'm doing fine. And you know they're not doing fine. <laughs> I know all of you are not all of the time doing fine in your spiritual walk. And the reason I know that is I have struggles in my own spiritual walk. I have times where I need encouragement. When I come on Wednesday nights, half the time it's to be encouraged by Tony and Carlene and Patsy and others who show up on Wednesday night. It's a great time of encouragement to me. So if, you're, you know, if your pastor asks you, how are you doing? Be honest. I'm not going to judge, I'm not going to judge you because I've been there in the same place myself. And so be honest. And when you're honest, I believe we can all grow together and become what God wants us to be. The leader's role also, of course, is to lead the flock, and he does that most effectively by teaching the Word of God. And that's my primary role, is to teach the Word of God. So on Sunday mornings, I teach the Word of God. On Wednesday, we teach the Word of God. And we also try to encourage you to make application of that. You know, sometimes you can hear the Word of God so much without any kind of obedience that you think you're being obedient and you're really not being obedient. We hear about sharing our faith all the time and sometimes we nod our heads and say, yes, we need to be sharing our faith, but then we never really share our faith. And so, you know, my part of mine is just to kind of hold us accountable and take uh, a fresh look at, at our lives as this church and make sure we're on the right path. A leader's role is to lead the flock by teaching. It's also by living the Christian life as an example to the flock. And this is a part that scares me, right? <laughs> this scares me because you guys naturally look toward me as an example. And I can tell you my example is not always the greatest example. I try to be a good example, but I also try to be honest with you and let you know that I struggle with things just like you do. I think it would be disingenuous of me to stand up here and to be 
promote myself as something greater than what I actually am. I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest that you are going to endure struggles too. And so I, I also, I teach the word of God, but I'm example to the flock. I shepherd the flock, but not in a way that I am domineering over the flock. So there's a balance, right? That balance between the authority of the church, the authority of the pastor. Peter puts it this way. He says, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So my way of leading the flock and being an example for the, the flock is by setting an example, setting an example. If I ask you to witness, but I'm not witnessing, it doesn't carry much strength, right? If I ask you to pray and I'm not praying, that's one reason why I pray on Sunday mornings is to set an example for you as to how to pray. I'm not to do things under compulsion. In other words, I'm not doing it because I'm expected to or getting paid to do it, but I do it out of love for the flock. I don't domineer over the flock. In other words, it doesn't always have to be my way. It doesn't always have to be my way. And we've had business meetings. I wish you guys could all experience our business meetings because we are like a family and we work things out like a family. There have been times where I have voted for things and the rest of church has voted the other way. And that's okay. And I don't, I don't try to force that upon somebody. And if I have something that is voted against that I desire, I accept what the church has voted on. I accept what the church has voted on. And so I primarily lead by example because I will have to give an account to Jesus for every one of you. I will have to stand before Jesus and he will say, how did you help so-and-so? When they were wavering in their faith, did you go talk to them? Did you contact them? I look forward to that day, but I also don't look forward to that day because I will have to fall at his feet and beg mercy because of the grace that he has shown to me. And it, you know, it's, it's not about works in his eyesight. It's about, are you a good steward of the grace of God that has been shown to you? Have you done with your talents and gifts that he has given you, have you done what he asked us to do? I don't know if you remember the story about the talents, but basically the story of the talents is that there's a master who gives three different people, I think, three or four different people, differing amounts of talents. To one he gives 10, to one he gives five, to one he gives one, I think. And uh, the ones who are given 10 and given five, they invest those and they return a reward uh, to the master of the house. 
But the one who only had one talent buried it, right? He thought, I thought it would be better to bury it than to risk losing it because I know that you are a hard taskmaster. Well, we are supposed to be one who take talents and take people and invest them into the kingdom of God because Jesus is expecting his reward. <laughs> he is expecting a reward of believers who believe because of us. And so it's a great responsibility that we have together and it's a great responsibility that elders of the church or pastors have the church as well. So we talked about the pastor's role, the shepherd's role, but there's a role here for the followers as well. First one is to obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. They are the ones who are watching over your soul. In other words, help your leaders. <laughs> help your leaders. They must give an account to you. And if you obey the leaders, then they are going to get a good report. If you don't obey, then they're not going to get a good report. And the kingdom of God will not flourish. But then he also says, submit to your leaders. So why, I had to question myself, why did he say both obey and submit? And I think the reason is obey you can do even with a wrong heart, right? Submit means that we have an attitude of humility. We're not just being obedient, but we're being obedient with, the, with an attitude of humility. We're seeing the authority structures that God has placed in the church, and we're being obedient to those things. So what, I, I tried to come up with one little statement that would kind of put this obedience and subjection together. And here's the simplest way I can put it and in a very practical way. Let what your pastor says weigh heavily in your decisions. Right? Amen. So what I, what I say from the pulpit, what uh, any pastor who happens to be here says from the pulpit, let it weigh heavily in the decisions that you make. Let the word of God weigh heavily in the decisions that you make. Amen. Because I and... You know, sometimes I see, sometimes I've done this myself, made decisions apart from even considering the word of God. And there are so many people who are making life-changing decisions and I don't see them even questioning whether what the Bible has to say about it. You know, things like marriage, things like divorce, things like, uh, you know, lifestyle choices. This whole thing about gender identity, I don't, I don't see people even going to the Bible and seeing what it says, or if they do, they try to twist it around to what they want it to say. And so way, just, you know, and it sounds like I'm bragging on myself, but I work pretty hard at making sure that what I say is the gospel truth to you. Let what your pastors say weigh heavily in your decisions. So many times when I hear about things, the decision's already been made. <laughs> and then, you know, what I want to say is, well, that's probably not going to work out for you, but I don't say that. I just continue to pray and pray that God works through even uh, the decisions that were not made, out of, made from wisdom. 
So we are to obey our leaders, submit to our leaders. We are to remember your leaders, pray for your leaders. And I would include all leaders of our church, you know, myself, but also all those who are on that list and have responsibilities. The nominating committee comes around and they graciously say, yes, I will help this year. Um, pray for them because they are going to be under attack and more and more so as things get more difficult in our country. And I do think they will get more difficult before they get better. But remember your leaders, pray diligently for them. Consider fasting for them. Consider how your leader lives his life. What is the outcome of a godly life? Hopefully, if we look at a pastor's life, we're not necessarily gonna see monetary blessing, but we are going to see God's blessing upon their life. And that's something that is good and should be imitated. We should recognize that and try to follow that. Of course, all this goes back to if the leader's part is making is living up to those qualifications, right? And I think sometimes why there's so much mistrust of pastors is because we have let you down so grievously over the past 30, 40 years, right? Many who have been on television say they proclaim the gospel, but don't proclaim the gospel. They're actually living for material gain or they're living in sin. But as far as you can tell, if they are living a life that matches up to the gospel, matches up to the word of God, then we should imitate their faith as well. Paul understood this. He had this bold, brazen comment that he makes in Corinthians. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what I should be able to say. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And yet it's hard for me to say that because I know that I'm not perfect. Paul wasn't perfect either as well. But imitate their faith. Finally, let your response to them, let your response to your leaders be for their joy. I love this part. This is the best part in, in verse number 17 that says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, as I go about ministering to you, even in my human weakness, I should, I should be able to do it with joy, right? Because you are working alongside me. You're not working against me. And Freedom Baptist Church has always worked alongside me and with me. I, that's one thing I can take great joy in. But do it, with, do it with joy. Let you live your life with joy. But let your service alongside the pastor bring him great joy and not groaning. That would definitely not be of any advantage to you. So that's the message for today. A very sobering message, I can tell. It's one that you've listened to. I can tell that as well. Uh, and it is a joyful message. If we turn this around and say, yeah, the church, when it works as it should, is going to bring glory and honor to God, and we're going to have great joy with one another. Amen. No, Not one person is going to domineer over the other, but we really are commanded to be submissive to each other, all of us. 
Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Husbands are to be submissive to their wives. And within the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be submissive to one another. And that really just means give them the other person preference, right? Go back to Philippians chapter two, three, and four. We give the other person preference. We look out for them first before we do ourselves. And that's what the Bible calls sacrificial love. So let's close with prayer. And if you want to respond today to this, or if you want to respond to the gospel message, you are encouraged to do that today. And the gospel message is very clear, very plain. It's the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, took on flesh, and he lived among us for about 33 years. And he lived that life perfectly, never committed sin one time, and because he had never committed sin, he was able to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world in such a way that those who believe and trust in him can have eternal life and be reconciled with God. Because he not only died, but he rose on the third day. And on that third day, God was saying to the world, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. It's sufficient for all repentant, confessed sin. And so if you were to make that decision today, I can tell you that immediately the Holy Spirit would enter your life. You would be guaranteed salvation and you would be guaranteed eternal life, not based on what you do, but based on what Christ has done. You would be reconciled and totally forgiven by God and you would be part of the universal church. And so there's no reason to make, not make that decision today, right? Amen. There's nothing better. Nothing better in the world than our relationship with God. And so if you need to make that decision, please make that today and let us know at the end of the service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for these two short verses which have so much in them. And we could go back and look at them in our small group and find even more truths that would bring us joy and encourage us about the church and about the leaders in the church. And so we're, we're glad that you have taught us this today and we pray that you would help us to receive it and accept it and implement it in our church the best way that we can. It always takes us to continue to learn these things over and over and over again because the church eventually will be presented to Christ as a beautiful bride wearing white, perfectly righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness that you have taught us through studying the Bible. And so we ask that you would do a work in us and we pray that if there are people who need to know Christ, that they would make that decision today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.